Hey, y'all. Uh, again, my name's Alex Lesko, and this is my beautiful bride, Jen. We are in our uh, ninth, uh, going into our 10th year of uh, marriage, and half of them as uh, non-believers, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, so uh, I think there are some pictures that we have. Yeah, this is our clan. We have three girls, uh, two juniors, and uh, one freshman in college. And um, I think there's one other when we were when we got married. Maybe not. No wor no worries. Um, so uh, let us jump in. Uh, Jeremiah 32:27. Behold, I am the Lord. The I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? We were sitting just like you all here at our very first re-engaged gathering in Plano in September 2016. I was an agnostic and Jen an atheist. Jen felt as though her heart had been ripped violently from her chest and stomped on only a few weeks before that time. She was extremely uncomfortable in my presence as we sat awkwardly together. She had discovered pictures on my phone which eventually led to the discovery of an affair I'd been having with a woman at work. So discovering Alex's unfaithfulness broke me, and my heart became engaged in a civil war. Part of me wanted to move as far away as I could and forget that Alex had ever been part of my life. Part of me wanted to end my life to make the pain of betrayal stop. And some strange part of me actually wanted to stay in our marriage. So I agreed to follow the advice of Alex's brother to explore re-engage. But let's go a lot further back and see how we arrived here and what happened when we both invited Christ into our lives. My biological mother uh, shared who Jesus was when I was very young, although I never came to know him at that time. She and my father separated and later divorced when I was three. Four years after that, she told my sister and me that her dad who lived in Japan had become ill and she needed to go care for him. I would never see her again and God was not part of our family from that point on. I was first introduced to pornographic magazines at the age of 11, which was the first step toward a life marked by sexual immorality. Throughout high school, college, and on into medical school, I was desperately lonely. I was viewed by girls as friend material and became depressed, lamenting that I would never find anybody who loved me. My longest relationship only lasted a few months until I met my first wife, who was in a relationship at the time. We married and then subsequently divorced 11 short months later when I left her for another woman. And this pretty much became my method of operation. Find a girl who was unhappy in her relationship, become her friend, flirt with her, console her, and then offer her something better, which was not really better. Uh, I learned to be the good guy by taking an interest in each woman in her pain, which led me to become an expert at grooming women. By doing this, I could avoid rejection, I pushed the envelope as far as I could, seduced women, and then led them down a path into an emotional then physical relationship. And I did this with anybody I found attractive, regardless of their marital status. After I left my first marriage, I started seeing multiple women at the same time and was sleeping with as many as I could. I was completely out of control, but I, one, didn't seem to realize it, and two, still had this insatiable craving to be loved, but loved perfectly. I bounced from one relationship to the next uh, and one marriage to the next. With one divorce under my belt, 
Uh, I married my second wife. We had a daughter, but I continued to pursue other women. The second marriage was soon in turmoil as several of my affairs were discovered. And toward the end of the second marriage, I met Jen. So I grew up in Northern California with mom, dad, and a younger brother. Uh, mom was an executive in corporate America whose job often required a lot of travel, late nights, and so forth. And my dad was a mechanical engineer. So given the demands of both of their jobs, much of my childhood was spent with our nanny, which left me often feeling unseen in our home. Um, I remember childhood at times just felt really lonely. My folks were busy with work during the week and were often entertaining on the weekends. Alcohol was an ever-present part of our home and a source of conflict when the drinking would go overboard. I remember pornographic magazines and lingerie catalogs out in plain sight at home. So as a child, I put a very high value on outward appearance and thought very little of modesty and protecting my purity. We also often spoke disparagingly about others. This self-righteousness at home was safe and encouraged, and I actively participated by tearing others down and gossiping. Paul says in Romans 12:2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And we were certainly conforming to the pattern, uh, excuse me, to what the world had to offer. I do firmly believe that my folks did the very best they could to raise my brother and me, but without God anchoring our family, as my parents were non-believers and still are non-believers, um, we lived according to our sinful desires. So alcoholism, body image, self-righteousness, and attention-seeking all became major uphill battles for me as a teenager. I drank heavily through high school until an intervention by brave friends occurred. I was as promiscuous as the boys I would dating would, was dating would allow and did everything in my power to excel in my sport of long-distance running in efforts to gain affirmation from all those around me. At the age of 22, I married my first husband and came into that marriage with a truckload of uncommunicated hopes, dreams, and desires. But when these quickly morphed into expectations that weren't met, the feeling of being loved dissipated, and I was convinced that I had married the wrong person. By the age of 27, we had two daughters and a relationship that felt dead on the vine, so I suggested a move here to the Lone Star State of Texas as a final Hail Mary in our marriage. But once the newness of the cross-country uh, move wore off, I was ready to divorce, feeling that my husband was the sole problem in our marriage. Within days of this epiphany, my path crossed with Alex's as our girls had started playing on a soccer team together. While there was no immediate physical component to our relationship, sparks were flying and we had become engaged in an emotional affair. And in my, my total self-absorption and callousness, I filed for divorce immediately to pursue a relationship with Alex and gave no thought to how deeply this would wound my husband or the fact that I had forced divorce to forever be a part of my daughter's stories. So Alex and I, we eventually married, um, and we became a dysfunctional, blended family almost overnight. We brought so much baggage and unresolved pain from our prior marriages into this relationship. And between us, we now had three girls. We weren't remotely prepared to raise one another's children or deal with the complexities of joint custody and ex-spouses. So there was rampant fighting, judgment of each other's parenting styles, hardened hearts toward the other's kiddos and one another, 
It was so ugly, and everybody in our home was miserable. I was also professionally and personally a mess. I had started bouncing between sales jobs. I was running marathons. I was doing triathlons. Anything I could do in a quest to find that attention and affirmation that I had craved since childhood. But there was such a hollowness and such a void inside, and I couldn't for the life of me figure out how to fix it. Paul says in Romans seven nineteen, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Despite the revolving door of women, I knew in my heart that there was something different about Jen. Something that I saw in her compelled me to desire to be different. But without God in my life, I remained a hopeless slave to my sinful patterns and continued grooming women, seeking inappropriate sexual relationships, sexting along with porn and masturbation. I knew something was wrong, but I also knew that I couldn't be authentic. I would lose everything if the sins of my past and our present at that time were revealed to Jen. I was trying to be better, but was also trying to manage and continue to hide my sin. During the summer of 2016, our house of cards came tumbling down when an affair that Alex had been having was discovered. He moved out of our house and life went into a tailspin. Praise God, Alex's brother saw an opportunity and recommended we get help through re-engage. But let me stop you here. You might remember I grew up in a home of non-believers, so this was like one of the most wild recommendations I had ever received. As up to this point in my life, the word that came to mind when on rare occasion thinking about religion, church, and God was farce. Growing up, we used to joke about God and believers, and I lumped God into the same category with the Tooth Fairy, Santa Claus, and the Easter Bunny. Sin didn't exist in my vocabulary. I wore my unbelief like a badge of honor and fully subscribed to the world's hierarchy of good and bad. As long as I wasn't committing crimes or as bad as the person next to me, I thought I was a pretty darn good person. As an adult, I used to tell people that one of the best things about being an atheist was going to empty grocery stores on a Sunday morning when everyone was at church. Truly, that summed up my spiritual life. Not waiting in a long grocery store line was more important than my eternal salvation. And here I was. I was being encouraged to humble myself enough to walk into a church and seek help from the people I had mocked for decades. Luke 14, 11 says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I remember meeting Alex at Watermark up in Plano that first night, and we awkwardly walked into re-engage with about 10 feet separating us. I figured at the very least this program was going to fix him, but God had something much bigger in store. This night would become my inflection point. We watched as a band came up on stage and played that song, Oh, Come to the Altar, and I heard the verse, Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. And I sat right in the front row and I just wept. Um, I was so thirsty. How gratifying it was to finally give this depleted, empty feeling inside a name. We then watched a couple come up on stage and detail out what a mess their marriage was and how someone named Jesus had saved it. Um, I had no buoy to cling to at this point, and so I clung to re-engage, where week after week, through worship and couples' testimonies and teachings, the sky, scales fell from my blinded eyes, and God revealed who he truly was to me. Alex and I continued to attend re-engage, but something was still very off, and so I began to dig. 
This affair of Alex's was only the tip of the iceberg. There were so many other women he'd been with while we were dating, before and after our wedding, um, and during our years of marriage. And this shattered everything I had built my foundation in life upon, which was body image and performance and control. Life had flattened me, and the only direction I could look was up. And my, my gaze was met by Jesus. Um, Psalm 42 says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. Because we weren't living together at this point, I assumed Jen only knew about the one affair. I couldn't possibly tell her about everything. That would surely be the end. Going to re-engage, I kept hearing the same thing, tell the whole truth. So every time I saw Jen, I would tell her about another woman. I can only imagine the pain she experienced. Please tell me this is all, she implored. It was awful because that wasn't all of it and I knew it. This trickle of, sorry, this trickle of information uh, eroded any remaining trust she had in me. In the fall of 2016, I gave up on porn and masturbation with the help of Covenant Eyes. Yet, I prayed to a God I didn't know, not really sure how to pursue a relationship with him. Then God made his presence known to me and I couldn't ignore it. In six short weeks, the following happened. First, I tore every major ligament in my remaining good knee playing the sport I love, soccer. It was the last game I would ever play and the first time I ever scored a hat trick three goals in a competitive match. Very sweet of him to give me that nice parting gift. <laughs> Surgery then followed, which gave me time off to spend with my brother and grow in my relationship with God. Second, I discovered the father of my daughter's swim friend uh, was grooming her over text and Instagram. While children were not part of my addiction, it made me realize that I was no different than him. I had told many women they were beautiful over the years and asked them to send me pictures just like that, that man did with my daughter. Next, we got into a closed group and re-engaged and I suddenly lost my job. God took the decision to leave this job where my last affair partner, partner worked. Uh, he took that off my plate and gave me time off to continue to grow in my understanding of God's character. And finally, I made the most important decision I will ever make. I finally trusted Christ with my life and my heart while also deciding to disclose all of my sexual past to Jen, and it was a lot. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. After an agonizingly long disclosure with Jen, it took almost two hours, I felt deflated and felt that there was a very good chance our story would end in divorce. Yet, just three days after the disclosure, our re-engaged group gathered around the fire pit at our leader's home, and to my amazement, Jen was there. We were able to share our pain and even smile and laugh. I don't know about you, but in what world does that ever happen? Wow, this God is some amazing God that I can share such hurtful things and he can keep us moving toward reconciliation. So during this season and re-engage, God was replacing this recovering atheist's heart of stone. He was teaching me that I was his clay and he was the potter. I remember first reading Romans 8:28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And I held so tightly to that promise um, that good would someday come out of this dark season. 
Christ showed me how everything begins with admitting the broken, my brokenness, accepting his incredible sacrifice for me, and declaring my total dependence on him. Together with Jesus, I was able to draw a circle around myself and embark on the journey of fixing the one person in it. He opened my eyes quickly to the dysfunction I brought into both of my marriages, as well as how tightly I clung to the belief that the world evolved around, revolved around me and my happiness. Christ was revealing the dangerous steps of my pride and the toll it had taken on my life and all those around me. Alex and I eventually reconciled, and in the summer of 2017, we renewed our wedding vows and were baptized in that same ceremony right out here in the pond. Woohoo! <laughs> Go God! <laughs> uh, while I had willingly followed God's command to recommit to our marriage, my heart, while softening toward Alex, still was not right. Somewhere along the journey, I had given Alex the label of sex addict, and I weaponized it. I used that label to wound him whenever I saw fit. That saying, hurt people hurt people, that described me to a T. Given that I was still afloat in a sea of unforgiveness, I followed Alex's decision to go through Watermark's 12-step recovery program called Regeneration, which is, I'm sure several of you have heard of it here, but it's a year-long biblical recovery program for those with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I went through regeneration following completion of re-engage and was such a star that they wanted me to go through it again. And I did. Okay. Um, well, that's not exactly true. When I went through re regeneration in 2017, I worked through my obvious outward sins of lust, pride, and people-pleasing. In the summer of 2019, after a relapse into porn along with control issues coming to the surface, I felt my next best step would be to, uh, a deeper dive in, uh, through a second round of regen. During the second round, I homed in on my desire for control. And I then discovered that this desire for control was actually a manifestation of comfort-seeking behavior which has leached its way into nearly every facet of my life. Having been equipped with an understanding that comfort-seeking is my go-to refuge apart from God, I can be more fully known through a community of fellow brothers in Christ and allow them into the battle with me. They can then redirect me from this fleshly desire of mine and hold me accountable to what I know is good, true, and what good God would want for me, not from me. God placed me in Regen at the perfect time during a season in which my daughter has struggled with severe depression and anxiety a struggle I have absolutely no control over, and she still is struggling uh, mightily from it. I have found that although I have no control, God has me here for a reason. He's showing me that through hardships that seem totally out of control, he is giving me the opportunity to reflect his love on Jen, my daughter, my stepdaughters, my ex-wife, and others around me. He's also showing me that my reliance on him is directly correlated with the way I love Jen and others, that I must put on the armor of his truth and grace in order to respond with the love he showed me and would want for me. Uh, my trip through regeneration, I, I too made two rounds through it and it was, I learned so much. So I learned that while I was wounded by Alex's choices, um, I was so angry with God for the story he'd written for my life. I simply could not get my head around why God would allow bad things to happen to a good person. 
and it took a year-long smackdown battle with my pride to understand that not only was I not a good person, but in fact was a wretch, a black-hearted sinner, a sinner that Christ had to give his very life up to save. And I learned that just like in the parable of the unforgiving servant, God had forgiven me of so much more than I was being asked to forgive Alex for. He leveled the playing field and helped me to finally see that we both sin equally. It just looks different for each of us. Um, not only did this open the door to me sincerely forgiving Alex, but it also allowed God to do some much-needed excavation into the darkest corners of my heart where my own self-righteousness, vanity, and judgmental behaviors live. And you remember that promise of Romans 8.28 that he works all things for good? In regeneration, God connected the dots for me in his beautifully perfect plan. The extramarital affairs he brought to the light led us to salvation and resurrected our marriage. Our mess became our message and our ministry. All praise to him. So today, I am wildly in love with Jesus. And by the way, I, I do um, order from Walmart, so it just comes straight to the house. So that way I can stay fully focused on Jesus. Um, but I am incredibly grateful for the gift that God has given me and my husband. The man who broke me on the deepest of levels now knows how to love me in the greatest of ways. Christ has equally yoked us together and given us a healthy foundation and a roadmap to navigate life's ups and downs. We work daily on the trials of being a blended family and most recently have begun tackling the continued dysfunction in our sex life. We've learned to do all this squarely with Christ in the center of our marriage and it has totally and completely transformed our lives. It's our hope that you come to see that Reengage is a safe place where you will be loved by an amazing group of people, regardless of who you are, what you're going through, or what you've done. Perhaps you feel like you've done something so terrible that you can't be forgiven, or that your marriage is well beyond repair. Perhaps you don't know who this Jesus is and what he can do for you, or even how he could allow whatever it is that you're struggling with to happen to you. There are a lot of wonderful people here who are more than willing to walk with you through this. Five years ago, I sat where you are, I didn't believe in God, and I was exhausted from nearly four decades of total self-reliance and self-worship. And today I sit up here and I implore you to consider that God can change anything. He has the power to redeem what we consider unredeemable, to heal what we consider fatally wounded to make our worst chapters our greatest victories. There is hope, hope in him. The following passage is the embodiment of God's story in our lives and marriage. Titus 3, 3 through 5. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But... When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We want to encourage you to, one, look with your eyes and listen with your ears to see and hear the stories of change occurring in the lives of those around you. And two, please just keep coming back, even when it's hard to assess for yourselves if all you see happening here is normal,
based on the current cultural standard in the world around you. Then ask yourself, what is the common thread behind all of these hard-to-believe and sometimes ridiculous stories of resurrected marriages and relationships? There's only one word, one name, and that's Jesus. Thanks for letting us share.